Wow, it's Tuesday already, and that means we get a chance now. Everybody, come on over here. Come on over here. Sit down right there. There's a spot over there for you. Spot over there for you. Not too close to the fire. You'll burn yourself. Now be careful. Sit down and enjoy. Here's Dr. History. Zad, how you doing this morning? I am fantastic. Sounds like you got a cold. Oh, just a little bit, but I'm getting over it, and I'm feeling okay. So, yeah, my voice is a little bit different this morning. I thought maybe you were outside inhaling bean dust. <laughs> well, there's a little of that going on, isn't there? Absolutely. Harvest time, I love it. Well, you know, I always look forward to Tuesdays, because I can sit back and close my eyes, and I can put myself in another time. I can put myself in another era. Listening to Dr. History. Well, Zeb, as you think about the things that, uh, the events that took place that really helped settle the West, there are several things that may come to mind. Anything that comes to your mind? Uh, the livestock industry, cattle business. Okay. Well, we're going to go a little, little beyond that. How about the Transcontinental Railroad? That was my next choice. That was it. Well, that's, that's what I'm going to talk about today. Okay. So, next to winning the Civil War, building the first Transcontinental Railroad from Omaha, Nebraska to Sacramento, California, was probably the greatest achievement of the American people in the 19th century. And actually, it wasn't until they started to work on the Panama Canal that something almost of equal difficulty took place. But the, the railroad took brains, muscle, and sweat. Uh, I mean, never before had people put into a single project something like this. But it could not have been done without a representative uh, political system, without skilled and ambitious engineers, most of whom had learned their craft in American colleges. It could have been done without bosses and foremen who had learned how to organize and lead men. And these guys were, had actually been officers in the Civil War, but they learned leadership skills there. Uh, couldn't have been done without hardworking uh, workers who had learned how to take orders in the war, uh, without those who came over to America in the thousands from China. And these people were seeking a fortune. But uh, it couldn't have been done without laborers uh, uh, speaking many languages and coming to America from really actually every continent in the world. And then again, we'll let's throw in the natural resources in America, the trees and the iron. And then again, it wouldn't have happened without capitalists that were willing to put their money on the line for this high-risk uh, venture. Mm -hmm. And most of all, it could not have been done without teamwork. I mean, if you, uh, this was an amazing, uh, again, if you read about this, this is an amazing feat that took place. Absolutely. But, you know, the United States was less than 100 years old when the Civil War was won. Mm -hmm. Slavery was abolished and the first transcontinental railroad built. And it wasn't until nearly 20 years later that the uh, Canadian Pacific would span Canada. And it was actually a little bit longer of a railroad. And But they actually used uh, a lot of the engineers that had been on our transcontinental uh, railroad. They actually used uh, workers and engineers. And it was about a, another 25 years uh, after the completion of the American that the Russians got started on the Trans-Siberian Railroad. 
And here, the Russians used more than 200,000 Chinese people to work as compared with the American employment of about 10,000 or so Chinese workers. Who were, and I'll get into that a little bit. They were very, very good, hard-working people. Uh, still, the Trans-Siberian at 5, 000, a little over 5,000 miles was the longest continuous railroad on the earth, and then the Canadian Pacific was second at a little over 2,000, and then the transcontinental, ours, was uh, actually in third place as far as length. But the Americans did it first, and this was in 1869. And as I mentioned about the Chinese, the workforce, primarily Chinese on the Central Pacific, uh, and the Irish on the Union Pacific. But with people from everywhere on both lines, and at its peak, it approached the size of the Civil War armies with as many as 15,000 on each line, one coming from the west, one coming from the east. But the leaders were the big men of the country. First of all, of course, President Abraham Lincoln, and he was really a driving force. I mean, he really, really wanted to get this railroad built. And then there was Ulysses S. Grant and William Sherman. These were the men that pretty well held the Union together after the Civil War. Now, supporting them was a guy that really, really is important. His name was Grenville Dodge. Now, he was a Union general, and he was the chief engineer of the Union Pacific and be, could be called America's greatest railroad builder. And then, there, there, like I mentioned from the Civil War, there were generals and a lot of engineers and foremen, and a lot of these guys were veterans uh, who made it happen. And it could not have been done without the Civil War veterans and their experience. So it was the war that uh, taught them how to think big, how to organize big projects, and basically how to persevere under pretty extreme uh, uh, situations. Now, the Union Pacific was one of the two biggest corporations of its time, and the other was the Central Pacific. And, of course, the Union Pacific came from the east, the, the uh, uh, the Union Pacific came from the east, the Central Pacific from the west, uh, from Sacramento. Um, now, the surveyors, the men who picked the route, they were really what we would consider kind of a latter-day Lewis and Clark type people. Now, if you think about these guys, they were out in the wilderness. They were under extreme conditions. They were attacked by Indians. They were living off buffalo, deer, elk, antelope, and ducks, and leading a life that we can only imagine today. So these guys had to be pretty courageous men trying to figure out the best route for the railroad. Absolutely. Now, the surveyor, who above all the rest earned everybody's gratitude, was a guy by the name of Theodore Judah. Now, to start with, the Central Pacific was his idea. In his explorations of the Sierra Nevadas, he found the mountain pass uh, together with, with his wife. Uh, he persuaded the politicians, first in California, then in Washington, that this could be done. And he wanted their support. And it was this guy, Judah, above all others, who saw that the line could be built, but only with the government help. Well, of course, the government help, that began, began with President Abraham Lincoln. And as I mentioned, he's the one that really was pushing to try to get this done. But the problems the companies faced were pretty similar. Nearly everything each line needed, including locomotives, rails, spikes, and all the, uh, everything that went with it, the railroad ties, had to be shipped from the East Coast. So for the Central Pacific, that meant transporting the material through Panama or around South America. Wow. And uh, to haul all that stuff over, the, uh, over Panama from uh, East to West, that had to be a major undertaking. How many months did that take? 
Um, yeah. Had to be at least three months, didn't it? Oh, to get things across? Yeah. Oh, yeah, because, uh, first of all, you might have things dropped off on the east side, and they might reach the west side in two weeks, but uh, then you may have to wait a month or two to get a, a ship heading north. Oh, my goodness. Up to Sacramento. Yeah. So for the Union Pacific, it meant across the, the eastern United States, then over the Missouri River, which, remember, with no bridges, then out to the construction site, for much of the route, even water had to be shipped uh, along with uh, lumber and everything else they needed. Wow. Now, except for Salt Lake City, there were no white settlements through which the lines were built. And there were no white men that lived in Nebraska, west of Omaha, or in Wyoming, Utah, Nevada. There was just nothing really out there. And then, of course, there were problems with the Indians uh, for the Union Pacific. Uh, now, keep in mind, here's the Indians who had not been asked... Uh, or given permission or paid for uh, what they considered was their land. Yeah, here comes uh, the iron horse. Yeah, for the Central Pacific, there was a problem of digging tunnels through the mountains that were made of granite. Now, again, this was a, a huge job. I mean, there were 13 tunnels that had to be built. The longest one was about 1,659 feet long, wow. 124 feet under the ground. Uh, and the job of, uh, of drilling and blasting was back-breaking, really, really hard labor. So, Well, now, you know, think about that, though. Once you blasted, quote-unquote, a tunnel, my goodness, the rock and the debris, that would take almost forever to clean up, wouldn't it? Well, it would. And, and again, this is where the Chinese workers were uh, a great asset to this whole project. Yeah. Because they would work 24 hours a day, uh, seven days or seven days a week. They uh, had uh, shifts, you know, eight-hour shifts, and they would work uh, 24 hours a day uh, wow. getting this done. So, but the workforce on both lines uh, got so good at moving the end of a track forward that they eventually could do it almost at the pace of a walking man. And doing so involved building a grade, laying the ties, laying the rails, and then uh, spiking in the rails, filling in ballast. Uh, again, nothing like this had ever been done before. So you say they could lay track as fast as a man could walk alongside the track. Pretty close. Pretty now, close. in my case, if they're going to use me as a gauge, that's pretty slow. That's pretty slow. <laughs> but they, again, if you've, uh, you know, I've watched documentaries on TV, and they will bring a railroad car uh, with uh, the, the track on it, and they'll get men on each side, they'll lift the rail, move it forward, set it down, the men will start putting in the spikes, the men go back and get another rail, they can move it ahead, they keep just one right after another, about as fast as a man can walk. How could they be that precise on everything, though? I mean, my goodness, in those days, they didn't have all the instruments and they didn't have all the gauges and everything. Boy, oh boy, there, there had to be a lot of mistakes. Well, and initially, I think there were, because uh, initially, the most important thing was getting it done. Uh, and the government actually set this up as a race, you know, 
the Union and the Central Pacifics were actually kind of racing because the more they built, the more they got paid. Yeah, but how would you like to be the engineer on the first train that went over those tracks? Or the passenger. Uh, no, so thanks. The big question was, do you want to build fast or do you want to build, <laughs> build well? And so actually over 90% of the American people said, just get it done. Yeah. Hurry. Grand Canyon University makes earning your degree possible with over 130 academic programs for traditional campus students with more than 80 bachelor's programs offered online. GCU provides you with the personal support you need from complimentary unofficial transcript evaluations within 24 business hours to scholarships, academic support, and your GCU graduation team led by your own university counselor. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. So, you're going west, but actually, when you look out the window, you're going south. You might have been. But, you know, time, along with work, is a major theme in building of the railroad. And now, if you think about this, before the locomotive, time didn't really matter that much. But with the coming of the railroad, time became so important that that's when we started getting phrases that, uh, like time is wasting or time's up or the train is leaving the station at such and such a time. And uh, what is called standard time came about because of the railroads. I see. And before that, you know, just the local towns, they kind of had their own time. And you might ride from one town to the next, and you'll say, well, it's 10 o'clock. And they'll say, no, it's 11 o'clock. Mm-hmm. But uh, because the railroads published schedules, the country was divided into the four time zones. I wondered who caused that. Yeah, and so that's where that all started. And so it was the railroads that served as the symbol of the 19th century revolution in technology. And the locomotive was the greatest thing of the age. And with this, man conquered space and time. I'll be. That's where our four time zones came about. Okay. But this could not have been done without the workers, whether they came from Ireland or China or Germany or England or Central America or Africa. Uh, They were all Americans, and their chief characteristic was how hard they worked. And work was different. And as I mentioned, nearly everything was done by muscle power. They didn't have any electrical equipment, any uh, back hose or track hose or electric drills, things like that. So, you know, the Transcontinental Railroad was the last great building project to be done mostly by hand. Okay, now wait a minute, stop. Because when you think of the Chinese and and the way they're depicted on uh, the television and movies, you know, the little people scurrying around doing this and that. You go ahead and move thousands and thousands of ton of rock, you're going to develop into a pretty big dude. Well, and these these guys were hard working. They 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 didn't hesitate. They now again think of this: uh, excavating dirt uh, and rock for cuts through ridges, Whew. and once removed, one handheld cart at a time. Wow! And then the dirt for filling up a dip or a gorge in the ground was brought in by again by hand cart. And some of these fields were enormous, these fields where uh, maybe they were hundreds of feet high and a quarter of a mile or more long. Wow. So all that done by, by backhand labor. Oh, my goodness. And then black powder was used to blast for tunnels, but only after handheld drills and sledgehammers had made an indentation deep enough to pack the powder. Handheld? So, yeah, handheld, and so... I wonder if you'd want the job of holding on to the spike. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> you wanted to have a good partner, because he had a sledgehammer, and you were holding the drill bit, 
and he was slugging that uh, drill bit with the, the hammer, you had to be a pretty good team. You know, the thing is, if all of a sudden you were assigned a team member and you looked at him and he was cross-eyed, I think I'd quit. <laughs> That's right. But, you know, making the grade, laying the ties, laying the rails, uh, putting the spikes in the rails, and everything else involved uh, in building this road was back-breaking hard, hard work. And yet, it was done generally without complaint by free men who wanted to be there. Now, that included, as I mentioned, the thousands of Chinese working for the Central Pacific. Now, contrary to some people's belief, they were not brought over here by boatload to work for the railroad. Most of them were already in California, and they were glad to get the work. Although they were physically smaller, their teamwork was so good that they were able to accomplish things that are really amazing. Uh, and again, you mentioned they they weren't very big, but they were amazing workers. Mm-hmm. And then you look at the Irish and the others who built the Union Pacific that were also there by choice. Uh, and they were mainly young ex-soldiers from both the Union and the Confederate armies. And a lot of these guys were unmarried, and they really had no reason to go home. And so here was a chance for them to work uh, and make some money. So... But, you know, it's difficult to get information on these individuals in the workforce because a lot of these guys did not uh, write, they didn't keep journals, they didn't keep diaries, and so it was a little difficult to to know the day-by-day workings of exactly uh, what they did. Uh, I mean, we kind of know how they worked, we know where they slept and how much they ate and drank and, you know, their diversions. They did some dancing and gambling and one thing or another, but... Some. Um... You know, along with winning the Civil War, what they did really made America what it was, made modern America. So now, I want to go back to something you said. We, I know I'm interrupting you, and I don't mean to. That's okay. But how many, uh, would it be miles of track, could they lay on a good day? You know, that depended a lot on, you know, whether you were on the West Coast or the East Coast, or the east, Eastern End, because, of course, if it was fairly flat, and you didn't have to do a lot of uh, uh, filling or digging, they could move, um, I think they said uh, they could do 700 feet in five minutes. 700 feet in yeah, five in about, minutes. They, 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 one of the guys... Uh, he uh, tried to uh, measure for one of the uh, reporters was there, and uh, and he said you know, he, he counted uh, five minutes, and I believe they did about seven hundred feet. Okay. Short of a time. Holy smokes. I'm sitting here. I don't have a calculator in front of me, and I'm trying to, with my Fort Atkinson High School mathematics mind, which is not real operative, uh, trying to figure this out. That's a lot of miles per day if they could keep up that pace. Right. And and when things were going smooth, they, they moved along very, very well. Yeah. And then, of course, again, back here in the Sierra Nevadas, uh, over the mountains, uh, you know, you, you think about this. They started in Sacramento. They went up over uh, towards Reno, Nevada, yeah. up over that summit. And, again, 13 tunnels that had to be drilled uh, through the through the mountains. Wow. And, and then, uh, you know, if, if we trace this along, they started in Omaha on the east, went through uh, pretty much the North Platte rivers where they... Uh, pretty well uh, the Platte River because it was fairly flat but over through Sydney, Nebraska Laramie, Wyoming Rollins, Wyoming Green River 
down to Ogden, Utah, around the north side of the Great Salt Lake, and then over through uh, Elko, Nevada, Battle Mountain, Winnemucca, and down again, as I mentioned, down to Reno, Nevada, and then on over to Sacramento, California. Wow. And and I would imagine that uh, the logistics, they're that favorite word of mine, logistics of the situation, like you said, not only the uh, the equipment needed, not only the material needed, but what about all the food? Well, again, it was a, uh, a teamwork effort because, again, you might have a... Uh, a cook uh, shack or a, a cooking facility that had to be moved maybe two or three miles by the next day. Wow. So, really interesting. Uh, but let me just, I know we're about out of time here, but let me just talk a little bit about the tunnels. Okay. Uh, you know, of course, they went over Donner Pass and uh, or they went through Donner Pass. There's a tunnel that's 1,659 feet long and about 124 feet beneath the surface. But and again, I mentioned the Chinese uh, workers working in shifts, eight hours a day, three shifts, um, and at each end, and they were to meet in the middle. Now, there was only room for, about, for gangs of about three men, and one would hold the rock drill against the granite, while the other two would swing 18-pound sledgehammers to hit the back end of the drill. Holy smoke! So again, if you're the one holding the drill... You're gonna. You better be pretty steady. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, but you know, of all the backbreaking labor that went into building this, a uh, lot of dangers. Uh, the drills. Uh, I mean, it, you know, it, it was a rough life. And the men swinging the hammer had to have muscles like steel. And of course, when a hole was the last big enough to get the black powder in, they would put a fuse in. Everybody'd yell, and everybody go run. And the blast would hopefully do what it needed to do. Holy smoke. we got to do another story on this. I mean, man alive, uh, uh, they had to have medical attention. I'm sure a lot of guys might have sneezed while they were holding that great big rod, and then somebody goes, Oh, sorry about your arms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Send in the next guy. Yeah, really. Uh, <laughs> Dr. History, now, quickly, I'm almost out of time here, but you're not going to be here next week. No, but we will have a program on the air. All right. And for those across the world in 40 different countries that still do business with us after listening to Dr. History, uh, history.com And really, how many hits have we had so far? 36,000 hits in 25 different countries. Uh, a lot in Japan, Thailand, uh, China, of course, Beijing, Peking, uh, Russia. Well, see, now, like over in Beijing, uh, China, if they're listening, we want to let them know for sure that, see, we really worked hard originally to get the first railroad built. That's right. And, and thank their people for being here. Yeah. yeah there you go. Um, God bless you, man. That's excellent. Uh, excellent show. All right, Zeb, you have a good day. I will. Dr. Ken Turner, better known as Dr. History, dr-history.com. You can listen to all these programs. I tell you, that man is good.